In the name of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we hear in the epistle... that we do not follow, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what we are seeing here is not a fable. Now there are parts of the Bible that are not meant to be taken in the literal sense and have an aspect like a fable. But when we speak about our Lord's transfiguration and when we talk about that transformation that happens to human beings because of the gift that happens to, uh, the gift that is given to us in our Lord Jesus Christ, we're not talking about a fable. We're not talking about something that just is, you know, perhaps like some sort of analogy for you know a good psychology or something like that or something that's just simply a good help but we are really talking about a transformation of the human being a deep and abiding transformation of the human being and he says also that this thing that they saw when he showed them his excellent glory and when the voice of the father spoke And confirmed him that they saw the prophetic word, uh, prophetic word confirmed. And what is that prophetic word? The prophetic word is the word which comes to Moses when he goes up the mountain, and the mountain is covered with fearful. Uh, fire and lightning and loud sounds and that word which comes to him pointing to the new creation by being revealed to him on the seventh day where the glory of the Lord comes upon him in the sight of the children of Israel That word which recreates all things is the word that is no myth, is Christ. That word which is no parable, just a simple fable, but which is Christ. Come to share our sufferings and to bring glory and to recreate us by his cross. And it says... Actually, in the gospel, that after six days, so this is like an image of the seventh day, so it's a very interesting thing that Christ takes them up on the mountain on the seventh day. At his transfiguration, his transfiguration, that transformation of the human being to show that the human being can be changed and can be filled with light. That transfiguration happens on the seventh day. And he tells them about his cross as he goes up the mountain and as he comes down the mountain again. So that transfiguration 
is not even the fullness of the end of time when human beings will be transformed in the glory of God, but is to reveal to us something about what is going to happen when he gives us rest. And when he gives us rest, of course, potentially after death, but even when he gives us rest in life. And what is the thing that happens on the seventh day? The thing that happens on the seventh day is that he lies in the tomb with humanity as the human being, as God and the human being. So the thing that is not a myth is not just that he can transform the human being not just a fable, it's that he can transform the human being and he transforms the human being in a way which is surrounded by the cross, which is the sort of the center point of the cross and that in that he transfigures humanity. In lying with us in the tomb, he transfigures humanity. And changes us. And so the Lord, and when he shows the glory once again to Moses later on in Exodus, Moses demands that he have it to, to show that he has favor and that God is pitying him. And God says that I will have pity on those whom I will have pity. You cannot see my face and live. I can show you the back parts. So you cannot see my face and live. So there's something about this experience of glory which is beyond the bounds of life. And so when Jesus is transfigured before his disciples, he's showing them something of what he will do in his own death. And he will do in not just in his own death, but in our life which is marked by death. He will show us glory. And when our Lord passes by Moses, what does he say? The Lord, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and full of mercy and true. And when Moses sees this, he bows to the earth. He makes a sign of his earthiness, even of his death, by bowing to the, to the ground and worshiping the Lord. And when Elijah sees God, he sees him past all the noise and all the terrifying sounds and the earthquake and the wind. And he sees him in the gentle breeze as if he has passed through something that is death-like. So when we see our Lord transfigured with Peter, James, and John, Let us meditate on how God gives this holiness, this glory to us, this power to us in the midst of all the fallen things of this world, in the midst of our own failure, of our own dying, of our own weakness. He gives it to people, you know, to many of the saints, some, some of whom are very strange. Well, if you met them on the street, you wouldn't want to talk to them. 
Or, you know, you read the lives of saints and sometimes they, they, they are very strange people. They're people that we, we wouldn't admire the same way that we admire an athlete or an intelligent person. But God pours into them something that's not, is no fakery. But his power in the midst of this life. No matter who they are, if they just will go up with him to the place where he shows us what lies beyond this world, but in the midst of this world. If we go up a mountain, apart from the rest of this world, but still part of this world, where we see him shining with brightness that he's going to do as he lies in the tomb. He's going to give that gift to humanity as he lies in the tomb and prepares the resurrection for us. So let us meditate on that and seek it and not let anything put us aside from that. Not death, not our own peculiarities, not our own failures, but seek to be in front of him, bow down to his power, which he gives us in our weakness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.